Oh, my bad. <clears throat> Amen. Good morning. We don't say that much up here in Denton at our services, but I enjoy saying it. Good morning. Uh, normally for uh, those of us, we've been meeting at uh, 5 o'clock up here, but uh, a new uh, wind is coming, and starting in a couple weeks, we'll be meeting here uh, in one of the other rooms at 10 a.m., and we're very excited about it. <clears throat> See? But thank you so much for coming. Uh, we are so encouraged to have all of you. Um, we're, we're very humbled. To, I know for some of you it's a little bit longer drive uh, than you're used to, but you know what? Amen. Thank you for being like Jesus. We're, we're so grateful. Uh, you know, I think one of the things that's encouraging is seeing all of you here gives us a vision for what Denton will look like, and hopefully soon. And I think it's, you know, it's on the hearts of the students, on the marrieds, and of the singles. Hey, we want to make God's name known in this area, and so we are excited about the example that you have shown us. In 1917, when American troops were preparing to sail across the seas for the First World War, the New York Bible Society asked former President Theodore Roosevelt to inscribe a message in the pocket New Testaments that each of the soldiers would be given. The president happily complied and began his inscription with what was called the Micah Mandate. And it says in Micah 6.8, He has shown you, Ormodal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Roosevelt believed that the whole teaching of the New Testament is actually foreshadowed in Micah's verse and exhorted the men to lead the world in both word and deed through an unimpeachable moral uprighteousness. Roosevelt went on to say, Do justice, and therefore fight valiantly against those who stand for the reign of Molech and Beelzebub on this earth. Love mercy. Treat your enemies well. Suck of the afflicted. Treat every woman as if she were your sister. Care for the little children. And be tender with the old and the helpless. Walk humbly. You will do so if you study the life and the teachings of the Savior walking in his footsteps. A war was about to rage on, and Roosevelt's call to the people was to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And I believe this call is just as important now as it was 100 years ago. But I believe a problem has presented itself. We have begun to fixate on the issues that are honestly insignificant in comparison to the war that's waging on for our souls. Issues such as politics or efforts towards personal comfort or even our efforts towards personal stature in our society. We spend more time on things that are going to burn up in this world than focusing on the world to come. Our focus needs to be on saving those who don't know that this world will not last. And not on earthly things. We in this room, right here, have the answer to true freedom. The solution for an unentangled hope on our hurting world. We have that solution. But my fear is we can become very much like immobile troops attempting to march through quicksand. We're just exhausted, wearing ourselves out, 
and yet going nowhere. We have become too fearful or maybe too unwilling to face our own inner demons that stand before us. If we're going to move forward in discipling the nations that has been, like it's been prevented to, or presented to us very recently, I believe it starts first and foremost with defeating our demons. And so the title of my lesson today is Defeating Our Demons. Defeating the demons that wage war on our souls is of great importance to me. For if we allow these demons to take control of our thoughts and of our actions, we will see these inner demons lead to an outward crippling of our faith. Many times I can see this paralysis take its form when we become more tied to our routines than to our deep connection to God and to his word. Maybe you say no to that promotion, not because it's going to relocate you to a place where there's no church, but because it's just not a good career move for you right now. Maybe when temptation is presented to you, you say no, not because of the overwhelming love you have for God, but because you just don't want to confess it later. In these moments, our actions are righteous. They are. But our motives are skewed. And when our motives become skewed, our convictions just won't last. They won't last. You know, my wife and I have uh, been doing our best to, uh, to eat better, which if you spend any time at Denton at all, you'll realize that's very difficult up here. This is a great place to be, lots of good food to a fault, <clears throat> honestly. And so we, what we've decided is, okay, we're going to eat more meals uh, in the home. And uh, when we do eat out, we're going to make good decisions, or I'm going to make good decisions to find places to go. And so one of the places uh, that I, we like to uh, frequent is Chipotle, okay? <clears throat> now, Chipotle's easy. Everybody, it's like, I don't care about your opinion on it. That's not what I'm asking for. It's easy, right? <laughs> right? There's, there's good things here. But Chipotle's not the problem. See, in Denton, Chipotle's a spot where we meet. It's right next to campus. It's a great place to have D times. But right next to it is a really nice cookie place. <laughs> it's called Insomnia Cookies. And I'm pretty sure they pay someone to spray like a cookie perfume outside just to really get us to be lured in there. And I feel like every time I walk by, I find myself averting my eyes, holding my breath. Just I don't want to be lured into this cookie temptation. So one day I was lured. I'm getting open here. I walk in and there's a sign uh, right there on the register. And the sign read, I'm sorry you had a bad day. Have a cookie. (laughs) I said, absolutely. (laughs) Hey, cookie people, thank you for thinking of me. I'm going to get six. You know, that's, that's what happened. My convictions were weak. I know what is right. But man, those cookies smell so good. They smell so good. I've realized this about myself is that if I'm relying on weak convictions or my wife's strong convictions to stay strong, I am very much being misled. It won't last, as I've proven time and time again. The convictions need to be my own. My motives need to be legitimate. 
Otherwise, I'm done for. And I think the same goes for us spiritually. If we're hoping to rely on misguided convictions or misguided motives, you will not last on your journey. No, I can hold my breath. Yeah, eventually you pass out and die. Well, I can avert my eyes. Yeah, you do that, you're going to run into something and probably die. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's just oncoming cars. But, but we're, we're holding on in, in hopes that our misguided convictions will just eventually get us there. It's not going to happen. You know, the scriptures show us a story where the disciples failed to do what was asked of them. They'd either gotten caught up with the routine or maybe even started to rely on their own spiritual strength. Whatever the issue was, my hope is today that we can learn from their example and we can learn about the importance of standing firm in our convictions so that we can rebuke any inner demon that we may face and eventually rid it and focus on Jesus. So we're going to look at a story from two different gospel perspectives. We're going to be in Mark 9. In Mark 9, starting in verse 14, it reads, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. Ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or to the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him, privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only be driven out by prayer. So a few things we need to know before we move on. Jesus has actually just gotten back into town. Okay? Him, along with Peter, James, and John, had been up on a mountainside, and they witnessed a, a great event in the transfiguration. And so they had come back down the mountain, and basically the nine disciples were attempting, the other nine were attempting to heal this man. <clears throat> the image I have when that happened, Jesus leaving, having nine disciples who are still trying to figure out life, trying to do Jesus' works, that image that comes to mind is like when I tell my children, hey, go clean your room. My children are five, three, and one. We have very definition, different definitions of what cleaning your room means, right? And so they'll go, yes, 
And then one will end up like sitting in a, the pack and play that we have for our youngest. One will end up brushing a Barbie's hair. And my other one will be trying to relocate because she's very heady. Okay, this has got to fit this way. And so I come and they've been working and the room looks, well, the exact same. So, <clears throat> and I get it, but they're trying their best. But you and I both know but when they think they're done, I'm going to have to come in or my wife's going to have to come in or someone's going to have to come in to finish the job. So Jesus leaves, well, these nine disciples alone to figure it out. And we all know Jesus is going to have to come in to finish the job. And so a boy is sick and they can't heal him. When I think my children didn't clean their room, I go, you know, well, I'll help. Because I, I look at it and go incapable. For me, at least, there's, there's, a, there's a little sign of, you know, immaturity. You're, you're young. You don't know how to do this. But look at Jesus' response when they couldn't do it. In verse 19, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Ah, Jesus, that's kind of (laughs) harsh. You're the guy. It's your, you know, you're supposed to be doing it. But look, he had some very strong words to say to them. Why? Was he mad that they couldn't heal the boy? Maybe But look at what he tells his disciples at the end of the passage in verse 28. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why why couldn't we drive this out? He replied, this kind can only be driven out by prayer. And in uh, Matthew chapter 17, it's a parallel story. Look at the end of this passage. Matthew 17, verse 19. The disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus was frustrated at the disciples because they'd become self-reliant when it came to performing miracles. When they ran into obstacles, they became inward-focused as opposed to being more focused on God and relying on his strength. For us, it seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, let's, we're supposed to rely on God. I can't heal people. But it, it had become something they were so accustomed to, they just did it. Think of the things you used to think you couldn't do, but now with God, you're like, oh, I can do that all the time. I'm strong enough. <laughs> no, you're not. You know, But we, we believe that. I was trying to replay the events of this day in my mind. That's what I like to do. I like to, I'm an English major and I like to think the whole picture, the one, you know, big part of my degree, see the whole thing. What are they actually trying to say? Doesn't do me any good, but whatever. So I was trying to replay the events of what happened. And so for some reason, with Peter, James, and John gone, I feel like Thomas would be the guy that would try to step up and do things. Doubting Thomas for all of us, right? He's the one that comes up. And so I see Thomas walking in going, okay, i got to do my best Jesus impression here to heal this boy. And so, you know, he gets whatever that looks like, and he walks over to the boy, and he goes, be healed. And it doesn't work. So now he's in a panic, because <laughs> that usually works when Jesus does it, right? And so you're kind of freaking out at the moment. So he's, he's thinking, okay, what have, what have I seen Jesus do? And they, they start talking together as a group. And maybe he goes over to Andrew, Peter's brother, and goes, what do you think? And Andrew replies, well, didn't Jesus spit on somebody one time? Like, made some mud? Maybe, maybe that'll work. Maybe we try that. And I could just see the boy's father going, hey, guys, can you not spit on my kid? Thanks. 
And the, okay, I'm going back to the drawing board here. And they're, and they're trying to figure out, okay, what would Jesus do? How would he do it? And then they go to Judas, and Judas is like, I got nothing. <laughs> got nothing. And you just see their minds starting to be overwhelmed because they were more focused on how would Jesus do it as opposed to relying on his strength and connecting with God. It came all about, became all about the motion more than anything else, than the reason behind it. When it comes to overcoming the demons in our lives, motives are everything. Motives are everything. So, what motivates your relationship with God? What motivates your relationship with God? My fear is oftentimes that our motives are not as concrete as they should be. We are steered more by our emotions and how I feel than opposed to Jesus' example and the words that he left us to follow. Now, I remember as a kid on some Sunday mornings, I would wake up and I just wouldn't feel like going to church. <laughs> you know, good luck with that, right? You'll see. So I, so I go to my parents and I, I just, I'm not feeling well. I'm too tired. I'm sick. I just don't feel like going to church today, to which my dad would usually apply. Okay, come on. Oh, where are we going? Church. <laughs> you know, it wasn't really an option. I'm grateful they let me voice my opinion, but we were going to church. This wasn't up for a family discussion. Let's have a powwow about this. No, you're going to go to church. You live in this house, you go. That's just how it is. You know, I think oftentimes we, we allow those emotions, though, and those feelings to do whatever we want to do, and we don't look at the word to go, no, I should do these things. The word should cut us, rebuke us. But if our eyes aren't on it, we won't go to church. We won't do the things we're supposed to be doing. You know, I think about it like a job. If you called your boss and said, you know, I just don't feel like coming in today. He'd probably reply, well, I just don't feel like paying you anymore. You know, I mean... That would be the quick conversation that you would have there. Life is hard. I get it. Life is hard. It's very hard. But it's even more difficult when we try to do it by ourselves. It's even more difficult when we do it based on solely how we feel. And what we just, you know, I'm just going to do, this is kind of the world we live in now. Just, you know, just do with what you feel and, you know, everything's fine and there is no truth and it's not working out so well right now. You know, one of the things I love about meeting here in Denton is in order for this service to work, for our services up here, every disciple has a part to play. We have about 65, 70 or so on Sunday, and it's not just a campus service. Despite popular belief, we got everybody up here, and it's awesome. But in order for the church to function, everybody has to serve period. Or we just don't work. You know, we have uh, an amazing marriage group that I, I feel like provides wisdom to a lot of the younger students, which they need. Absolutely. We have a growing and exciting singles ministry led by Ben Bouchard. And uh, they've not only been baptizing, but they've been providing a great environment for our graduates to go into and be a part of. It's exciting. 
We have an awesome AV team led by Lucas Pratt and uh, Dakota Lopez. And I'm just so encouraged by Bruce Herman's helping them out and showing them, hey, this is, these are some wise things. And they've been eating that up. And they make the service wonderful. We have a, a great worship team led by Minor and, and Jack. And, and it's, we're spoiled up here. We have Great Kids Kingdom program led by uh, my amazing mother-in-law. We have great ushers that Catherine uh, Gallimore heads up. And see, see how she timed the baby during the summer so when he comes back, it was perfect. We were grateful. <laughs> we even have someone, a phenomenal, beautiful, amazing woman who's in charge of bringing our welcome cookie cake to our services on Sunday. That's my wife. Together we suffer with cookies. You know what I'm saying? But it's a great service. But the only reason it's a great service is because everybody does their part. We could not do it. We couldn't. We have a lot of people out of town this week. And so I'm very grateful for Matt Fab and Thomas Odenhouse coming up here to help us. Everybody has to do their part for the service to be wonderful. And I believe every person having a role is great for the church. It is. It's great for the church. But I also believe it's even more so greater for the individuals who serve. They need that on their hearts. They need to be giving, to be loving, because it stretches their faith. And it also makes it feel like home. Because otherwise they're just an attendee that shows up. And it's that church, not my church. I'm grateful for the people who serve. This morning, if you're feeling more like an attendee and less like a part of the church, I want to encourage you to evaluate another area in which you can serve. Just find a way to serve. Don't matter what it is, just find a way to serve because this is your home. This is your family. You know, I think about things that we'll do for family that we won't do for anything, anybody else. It's like, why are you doing that? That's family. There, it, that's the logical response to a crazy idea. Why are you going there? Eh, family. Family. This is family. And we need everybody. Don't let your emotions get the best of you. Remind yourself that you are serving God and your family. And God will do great things with that. He will. You know, when I look back at the passage of disciples, I see a group of men that briefly became dependent on themselves in the strength that they thought they had. And we see that strength did not work out for them. It didn't work out for them. And you know what? It will never work for us. So how do we do it? How do we defeat the demons that overcome our lives, and really be able to give our whole heart to God. Well, link number one, we've got to identify the demons. Mark 9, verse 17 says, Teacher, I brought you my son, who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. The father of the boy gives Jesus a broad strokes perspective of what his ailments were. He can't speak. He's thrown to the ground. He foams at the mouth. These are the symptoms of the demon. Jesus was getting the full picture of what was going on so that he knew how to help. He needed to identify the demon. Because we know that every situation Jesus walked into, he approached it differently based on the need. To the leper, he touched. To the blind men, he made mud cover their eyes. Each situation was different. And look how he addresses the spirit when, it's command, when he commands it to leave the boy. Verse 25, you deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out 
of him and never enter him again. He called the spirit by its identifier. Deaf and mute. I know who you are. I've seen you. You know, as I was reading this, I was wondering if he knew the spirit by name. You know, he's like, maybe that's Dave the demon. You know, he's sitting there. He's sitting there and the father's giving the background. He's like, Dave, come on now. You know, like, he knew who it was. Oh, the deaf and mute guy. Come on, Dave. Let's go. I know who you are. I know the sin. Knowing the symptoms helped Jesus heal the boy. If we're going to defeat our demons and allow God to defeat our demons, we have to identify what they are in our lives. And that means that we have to be vulnerable and tell people so we can get the help that we need. You know, oftentimes the mistake we can make is when we try to use a cookie-cutter solution to fix our problems. We don't want to give a a full explanation, right? So we just kind of hide it. Hey, I'm suffering with this. And the response usually then, because we don't have all the information, is what? Bro, it sounds like you got to read and pray, which is great advice if you're not doing it. But there's more to that. you got to read, pray, and obey. You know what I'm saying? But oftentimes it's like, I don't know what else to tell you because you're not giving me everything. And until you do, this, all, this is all that I can give you. So we've got to be more transparent. We need to be vulnerable and open about the messes in our lives so that we can fully identify the demons. Amen? As we identify them, I think we need to be okay with the pains of having a demon removed. Number two, be okay with suffering. In verse 26, it said, The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy was shook so violently, they thought he was dead. They thought he was dead. It's like, that didn't work. That backfired. And Jesus helped him up. No, no. <laughs> Jesus knew what he was doing. The boy had to be okay with suffering so he could forever have the demon removed. Oftentimes, we think about getting rid of the filth in our lives, but then we convince ourselves not to because of just how difficult it would be to do so. It's just, it's just so hard to have to have those conversations, to confess. It's, it's so difficult. But I don't think what we actually realize is we're already suffering anyway. <laughs> the reason you're at this point is because life is so hard. I mean, if we look at the passage, the demon was throwing him into fire, leading him to water to be drowned. And we're like, yeah, this is bad. How, we're not going to tolerate being thrown into fires. I'll just be okay with drowning. I'll learn to swim better. No. No, we, we've got to be able to get rid of the demons all together. You know, a while back I was studying with a guy, and uh, it really felt like it was going nowhere. So he had just moved here from out of town. He'd been studying the Bible for about two, three years over there. And he thought, okay, maybe a change would be a good environment. So he came here, and we studied. And I just... I just felt like we were getting nowhere. And and to be honest, I didn't know what to do next. I'd gotten in some advice. They're like, (laughs) good luck was the advice. I'm like, you're no help. You know, it was like a back and forth, what to do. And so I'm just one day, I'm sitting at home and my phone rings. And it's it's this individual and he calls me and he goes, hey, um, I think I need to start getting serious about getting right with God. I was like, okay, yeah, why is that? Like, you know, I've heard this before. I believe you, but I believe you think so. But I'm not as convinced yet. He goes, well, a few minutes ago I was walking and I had my headphones on. And I wasn't paying attention and I just got hit by a train. (laughs) What? (laughs) 
Did you, inside, you, you mean car, bike? No, I got hit by a train. You lived? And that was my next question. He goes, I have no idea. And I just realized God was trying to get my attention. <laughs> and I need to get right. <laughs> and you were one of my first calls. I was like, well, your next one needs to be to a doctor. <laughs> but let's get together. And uh, sure enough, he did. He went and he was, the doctors were like, I don't know how he survived. He just got hit by a train and it just bruises. That's all it was. His whole body was sore. He was baptized two weeks later. <laughs> and he is still faithful to this day. He's a great brother over in the East region now. You know, and I think one of the crazy things about this story is never once did I hear the brother complain about God allowing him to get hit by a train. He went... God was trying to wake me up. And he was okay with the suffering. Because it meant he now had a relationship with God. See, oftentimes I think we see the suffering and we go, that's too hard. God, why are you torturing me? Why are you putting me through this? And God's just saying, I want to connect with you, please. I don't want to have to throw anything else. I just want you. And I want all of you. When God puts us through difficult times because he is molding our faith, are we grateful for suffering? Or do we complain about it? My hope is that we are okay with suffering. And we're okay with doing whatever it takes to connect deeper with God. Amen? You know, identifying and being okay with suffering, I believe, will help us to start... um, to be able to eradicate all the demons in our lives. But the goal is not to just get to a point where we're content living with the demons inside of us. The goal is to rebuke the demons, have them leave and defeat them all together so they will have no part in our lives. So how do we do this? Well, I would start, and I'm only going to say this today, I think it starts with being completely obedient to the word. That's it. The things the word tells us to do, there's a lot more there, but completely obedient to the word that God has given us. Not being okay just to just live with sin or put up sin, put up with sin, but completely expel it from our lives. I think too often we stare at the sin in our life and think it's just too much work to try and eradicate this mess. It's too much work. So I'm just going to learn to be okay with it. I'm going to cope with it. And we justify it. You know, I'm like Paul with a thorn in his side. You know, we're, we're, we're the same thing. No, I don't think so. Probably, you're not. You know, I don't know how else to say it. But we, we try to justify it through, our script, through scriptures, but we're wrong. And I, and I think about this for a moment, okay? What if Jesus walked up to the demon-possessed boy and said, hey, you know what? You're just going to have to live with this. You know, you're just going to have to figure out. Maybe time down so he doesn't wander into fire or water. The father would have been like, no, thank you. Do something else. Because to us, it doesn't make any sense. Yet we justify holding on to sin and letting it destroy our lives. We've got to get rid of this sin. Many of you at this moment may be thinking that, hey, you know what? I hear you. Thank you. But I just can't get past whatever God has you know, put in my life. And you know what? <laughs> You're right. You can't get past anything. You can't defeat anything. Hey, but you know that guy we hang out with, God? He's pretty good at it. God knows what he's doing. 
And he will help us if you let him. If you allow him to spiritually hit you with a train. But we've got to be okay with it. Aren't you tired of suffering spiritually? Aren't you tired of feeling just spiritually weak? Feeling incapable all the time? Oh, I just can't do it. If you are, I, you should be. You should be tired of that. God did not give you a weak spirit. He gave you the same spirit he gave Jesus who used it to raise from the dead. So if you think you can't overcome sin, stop Let Satan lie to you. Overcome it. Grow up. Because Jesus is waiting for you to do something great. God is waiting for you to do something amazing. But you've got to believe you can as well. You've got to believe it. You have the same spirit that he gave Jesus. I believe the way we use that spirit is completely obeying the word. For me, the final thought I have on helping us disciple the demons in our lives is we've got to remember why we do it. Yes, this is great, but why are we here? Why do we serve God? Why do we drive all the way up here for a service when we pass 45 churches on the way here? Why do we do it? I passed five to go a block and a half at our old service. Why? Because I've seen what God has done in my life, and I can't deny the fact that he wants to do so much more. And he wants to work through me, and he wants to work through you, but I've got to let him, and I've got to remember that I am just a part of God doing something great. It is God who we are serving and living for. That's it. It's God who we live for. You know, at the beginning of the story, I told the story of the Micah Mandate. That Roosevelt gave all the troops before they were deployed. And as they were being sent off to war, he introduced them to Jesus. He said, look, I want you to go fight this war. But I want you to be like Jesus when you do it. He encouraged them to follow the teachings and walk in the footsteps. These men were about to be very busy with war, but the former president had just given them a homework assignment because he knew that homework assignment may be the very thing that saves their life and the world. Today we are in a a war of a very different kind. We are in a spiritual battle, and we're being called to go disciple the nations. It's a great call, that it has been given to us by Jesus. But I strongly believe we will be unable to heed that call if we don't first make the effort to defeat the demons in our lives. I pray today that we can identify these demons, we can be okay with a little bit of suffering, and we can make the effort to have them completely eradicated from our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's close out in a word of prayer, and then we're going to have the song leaders come back up. Father God, we are thankful, we are grateful for all that you do for us. God, we are unworthy and incapable of doing anything without you. God, I'm so thankful for the example your son set. I pray that we can imitate him with our lives. God, we can imitate him with our obedience. God, and we can be the men and women, the son and daughters that you asked us to be and know we can be. God, we love you and we thank you. We pray all this in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen.